there, bio nerds. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Biology, the science podcast that covers the stuff they left out of the textbooks. I'm Nikki. And I'm Jen. And this week, we're talking viruses. Over the last year, we have all become a bit more knowledgeable about viruses, whether we wanted to or not. But did you know that these tiny spike balls have yet to be classified as either dead or alive? In fact, not all of these little viruses are bad. They may actually have participated in the creation of life itself. Jen and I hash it out as usual, and we're joined by Dr. Veska, a microbiologist from the University of Lausanne, to help us find out about how viruses break biology. Ugh, I'm so sick of this virus. It has ruined my entire year. It's ruined everyone's year. Ugh, Nikki, I hate viruses. You know, Jen, viruses aren't all that bad. Are you serious? Where have you been, Nikki? These things killed so many people and tanked our whole economy. These little uh, dudes, small guys. What are these viruses anyway? All right, Jen, you asked for it. I'm putting my scientist hat on. Oh, yay, me, the hat, my favorite. Yes, the hat, really. Now, viruses are very small microscopic parasites, even smaller than bacteria. In fact, if bacteria had eyes, they wouldn't even be able to see most viruses. The poliovirus, for example, is about 10,000 times smaller than a grain of salt. Viruses are parasites because they can't thrive or reproduce outside of a host body. Okay, so they're very small parasites. I mean, that makes sense. But if they're so small, how did we figure out what they were in the first place? Well, for that, we need to go back a few hundred years. In 1886, Adolf Meyer, a German chemist and agricultural researcher, was concerned with ailing tobacco plants, afflicted with what was called the tobacco mosaic disease. In his experiments, Mayer found that when he injected the juice from sick leaves into healthy ones, they too became splotchy and diseased. He realized that whatever was causing the sickness was too small to identify under a microscope, and the disease didn't correspond to any of the known bacteria at the time either. So he left it at that. But in 1892, a Russian student, Dmitry Ivanovsky, took up Mayer's experiment, but this time passed the sick plant juice through a filter that was fine enough to sieve out bacteria. And the plant still got sick. That gave him a clue to the much smaller size of the mystery disease. The term virus was coined because of that experiment from the Latin for slimy liquid poison because it was found in that sick plant juice. And it actually wasn't until decades later that the first virus was able to be seen. This became possible in 1931 when the electron microscope was invented and its high-resolution technology finally gave us the first glimpse of a virus. In fact, the first images taken of a virus were of the tobacco mosaic virus, which completed the circle of virus discovery. They look kind of like specks of dirt and worms under the microscope, which is pretty deceptive considering the damage that different viruses can do. You know, every now and then, I do enjoy that scientist hat of yours, Nikki. <laughs> that was actually a pretty interesting history lesson. But see, I was right. Viruses are bad. But there are these organisms, uh, parasites. Wait, what are they exactly? Did the scientists figure that out with tobacco plants too? Well, uh, scientists are a little uncomfortable with this question. Viruses actually break biology in the way that they're the exception to a lot of biological rules. 
We know that they're not dead because they can perform biological functions like the ability to copy themselves, but they can't perform these functions outside of a host on their own because they don't have their own copying mechanisms. They have to use those that are inside the host cell instead. On the other hand, they contain the key elements that make up living organisms like DNA or RNA. That is the code that tells our cell what to do, except they can't decrypt that code on their own like a normal living organism would. In fact, they're not even made of cells. So uh, you can think of viruses more like, uh, like a cyborg or a freeloader rather than an actual living organism. Think of it like the Terminator sneaking into your house and taking all your beer while making infinite copies of its butt on a scanner. Jen, am I losing you? Uh, I think you can see why scientists are confused. It's time for a BioBite. We brought in an expert to help explain viruses. Dr. Pilar Vesca is a Spanish biologist who studies microorganisms like viruses and their interactions with plants and insects. Dr. Vesca, can you help us understand what viruses are made of? Viruses come in all shapes and sizes, but they all have a common structure. On the inside, they have either some DNA or RNA, which is essentially a carbon copy of DNA which is used to synthesize proteins. DNA and RNA are the virus instructions or code that it uses to tell host cells what to do with it. This code is called the genome. The genome is surrounded by a protein shell called a capsid that protects it, sort of like an eggshell. That's it. It's the simplicity of the viral structure that has allowed them to exist for over 4 billion years. They are able to infect healthy cells by binding to the receptors with the proteins of the outside of their capsid, like the spike proteins on the now infamous coronaviruses, tricking the cell into thinking it is letting in a useful protein, just like a Trojan horse. They then integrate their genome into the cell's own DNA, converting the cell into a virus-producing factory. Okay, so now I know more than I ever really wanted to know about what a virus is and how it works, but they still sound bad to me. Between the obvious virus that must not be named 19, HIV, polio, Ebola, rabies, smallpox, etc., etc., the list goes on. Come on, Nikki. Pandemics have killed millions and millions of people. How can they possibly be good? Listen, I get it. Viruses get a bad rap for a reason, but it may not be universally deserved. First of all, think about the salad you had for lunch. Viruses can help certain plants tolerate drought and cold. Scientists are actually adapting this ability to expand the range of crops that are produced now and to help feed more people. And that might come in handy in the future when climate change makes things hotter, but increased populations will create higher food demands. Lab-made plant virus symbiotes, and not the kind from Spider-Man, have allowed scientists to grow tomatoes in 104-degree weather. Talk about a hot tomato. I think the term is hot potato, but go on. (laughs) Just like bacteria, viruses are part of the microbes in our guts that keep us healthy. These microbiome viruses can help protect your body from damage that's caused by external agents. Have you ever taken antibiotics and had some gut sensitivity? Well, your microbiome viruses help protect your gut from that very situation getting even worse. (laughs) Yep. Definitely been there. Well, uh, thank you, microbiome viruses, I guess. 
Viruses also do this great thing called phage therapy. But I'm going to let our specialist explain because it's very close to her field of work. Dr. Besga here. There are some types of viruses that kill bacteria. They are called bacteriophages. These bacteriophages naturally target the bacteria that cause infections in humans. Some of these are already resistant to antibiotics, which lists viruses as the last line of defense against these so-called superbugs. Phage therapy is a therapeutic use of bacteriophage viruses that once injected into a patient, identify the infectious bacteria and replace the bacteria's genome with their own, stopping the bacterial infection. This therapy can be more effective than antibiotics for fighting infection. But the downside is that only certain viruses can attach to certain bacteria, so often a cocktail of different viruses is used for phage therapy. Oh, okay. Viruses to the rescue. Had no idea they could do that. Right? Viruses have even been recorded to attack some forms of tumor cells in mammals. So you see, they can also save lives. But Jen, I have saved the best for last. My absolute favorite part about viruses is that we may need to thank them for this little thing called life. Okay, now you're just making this stuff up. I get that viruses can do a million things. Some are bad, like I said this whole time, and some are, all right, actually pretty good, I guess. But seriously, Nikki, life, didn't you hear me at the beginning? The virus that shall not be named killed so many people. Yes, Jen, life. We may not be here at all without them. When the human genome was being mapped out, traces of viruses were found within our DNA, and that led to the leading theory for the origin of life that we have today. Billions of years ago, underwater, a virus infected a bacterium and formed the first cell nucleus. That's where the DNA is stored. Based on this, all cellular life on Earth evolved from a virus's failed attempt at infecting a bacterium. Oh, well, all things considered, I like knowing that a virus failed at something. <laughs> so, all right, well, that was pretty freaky and awesome. Anyway, this is a lot of information to call our debate. What does Dr. Veska have to say? Dr. Vesga here again. You both have made a lot of good points. It is important to remember that viruses are not plotting to kill you. They are just existing and evolving like all of us, except that they are not really alive and they are not really dead either. But what is important in science is to look at the problems from multiple angles to understand them on their own merit. By making an effort to remove our human-centric view, we can come to a deeper understanding about the world we live in and our place in it. All right, another episode where we're both right, Nikki. Yay us! It most certainly is. Viruses can be either good or bad, all depending on the situation. All right, but I'm going to stick with calling them sneaky, freeloading cyborgs. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, we hope that you learned a bit more about viruses and that you'll be back for more Breaking Biology next week. Thank you to the wonderful team of Breaking Biology for all of their help on this episode. Audie, Eliza, Jen, and of course, thank you to Dr. Veska for her expertise. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends or find us on social media under Breaking Biopod and like our posts so they go viral. I see what you did there. Have a wonderful week, everyone. But 
There are these uh, orgasms, uh, parasites. Ugh. I'm going to have you redo that because you said orgasms instead of organisms. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God.